Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. After a week off, Formula One's compacted 2020 season continued with the British Grand Prix at an eerily empty Silverstone, and Lewis Hamilton won for Mercedes. For so long, it looked exactly as simple as that sounds, but tyre failures for both Mercedes cars created almost unbelievable last lap drama. Valtteri Bottas's rubber gave way just under three laps before the end and he was forced to crawl back to the pits, which dropped him from 2nd to 11th. That means he's now 30 points behind his teammate in the standings because Hamilton held on, despite his own last lap tyre blowout, to win the British Grand Prix for a record-extending 7th time. Max Verstappen was delighted to come home 2nd, just 5 seconds behind the hobbled Hamilton at the flag, with no regrets over a late stop after Bottas's puncture because Red Bull feels it's far from certain he wouldn't have suffered his own puncture. Charles Leclerc picked up another wildly unexpected podium for Ferrari, bouncing back for his second rostrum visit of the season after a disappointing performances in the last two races. Elsewhere in the race, there were two big accidents early on, with Kevin Magnussen and Alex Albon clashing at the final corner on lap one and sending the Haas into the barriers with Albon later penalised, possibly controversially, for causing the incident. Daniel Kvyat had a massive shunt in the wall beyond the Maggots and Beckett's complex, which ruined what had been a great start from the back of the grid. There were also starring drives from Carlos Sainz Jr., another victim of the tyre drama at the end, Daniel Ricciardo, who came home fourth as a result of Sainz's issue, while Pierre Gasly put in yet another great drive in 2020, and Romain Grosjean earned a slap on the wrists for his defensive driving after jumping up the order by not pitting under the second safety car, which was called for the Kvyat crash. Joining Luke Smith and me, we're back from the track and in our delightful Airbnb and toaster, our Autosports technical editor Jake Boxall-Leg, and GP Racing executive editor Stuart Codling. So, Stuart, 
you always you always you always have an opinion or two to share you never want to shy away from giving your views on any topic frankly what did you make of the british grand prix today well it was interesting taking in the round wasn't it for quite a lot of the the race it was not hugely intriguing wasn't it there was a lot of huge segments where it looked like it was going to be at a bit of a grind to begin with it was all very much tire management all the people who were on offset strategies were driving at the same speed which made a bit of a nonsense of taking offset strategies and then pretty much everyone ended up on the hard tire and he kind of thought well what's going to happen and i suppose we still really aren't quite sure what happened because even though most of the people uh, took on the hard tyres five or six laps before Pirelli thought would be the optimal tyre window. Um, the, the failures that were experienced are still quite inconclusive. There was there's there's a lot of things that went on late in the race. Kimi Raikkonen's wing failure. A, a lot of people during the race going off around the sort of the chapel area of that bit that used to have a curb that now doesn't have a curb, throwing up gravel. It's inconclusive how much of the damage was done by people either. Um, asking too much of their tyres or just pushing to the edge of tyre wear and then running over something that then damaged their tyres and, and caused them to fail. So it, it, the, the evidence is not yet in. So in the round, it's quite interesting and it bodes well for next week where they're on softer tyres. So who knows, they'll all be going around at five miles an hour and not daring to overtake one another. Absolutely. It certainly made a much more interesting finish compared to the rest of the race. But Codders, I happen to know that your insight there about that curve at Chapel comes because you've been you've been speaking to Esteban Ocon, have you not? Uh, yeah, I, I asked him about because, you know, we, we, we're terribly cliche journalists. A lot of us ask the same questions to the same people, but I kind of thought it was worth chucking in because no one else had asked him at the end of his press conference uh, about the the tyre failures but because obviously there there have been some people the instant experts on twitter who've who said that well you know both mercedes had tyre failures both mercedes have the uh, have das therefore it must be the das that's caused the tyre failures now this is a syllogism that socrates would have sent all those people out of class for had twitter been uh, invented in, in ancient greek times um and and so it was, it was actually worth interrogating whether other drivers had experienced the same level of of, of failures and we'd obviously spoken already to toto wolf uh, who usually comes on quite early in in the press conference schedule who'd said maybe it was the Raikkonen thing that had caused a lot of carbon fiber shards to be garlanded around the circuit but yeah it was Esteban Ocon who said that you know the last time I raced at Silverstone there was a curb there uh, uh sort of a, the 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 right sweeper that leads on to chapel uh, and um there, there isn't this year and a lot of drivers were going off and kicking up grass and gravel so it, it is a possibility and it's not worth discounting. So once once again, I don't think it's possible to conclusively say that the Raikkonen shunt or DAS caused any of these things. And a lot of drivers are re- reporting that they had cuts on their tyres at the end of the race. So it, it could have happened to anyone. Well, it actually happened to McLaren's Carlos Sainz and I'm fairly sure McLaren doesn't have DAS. So those Twitter people can uh, perhaps change their mind because of that. They can do one basically, can't they? <laughs> I mean, you're you're quite feisty, Codders. As you know, I'm very restrained and polite and would never say anything so outrageous. Um, but J- JBL, coming to you, Lewis Hamilton is, is quite convinced that 
you know, his tyres were actually in pretty good shape um, towards the end of the race, even after Bottas's incident. And he's he's absolutely adamant that it is the debris he thinks from the from the Raikkonen uh, wing that that caused the issue. But Silverstone is quite uh, it's quite tough on tyres, isn't it? I mean, you've you've written a, a column for Autosport.com Plus, if I'm not completely incorrect, that everyone will be able to read tomorrow. So, what is it about Silverstone that is quite so hard on tyres? So what you've got is you've got you've got Stowe, um, which is an incredibly quick uh, right hand corner. You've got Cops, which is taken flat. You've got uh, Abbey that's taken flat as well. They're both again quick right hand corners. Uh, there is a a plethora of these corners on on the Silverstone circuit. Uh, you've also got Luffield, which is a long uh, left hand corner, left hand right hand corner. Um, it's just a collection of all of these corners that are going to put so much load onto that that right um onto those left hand tires particularly the front um and we've seen it in the past haven't we back in 2013 at silverstone that was the side that was that was getting shredded uh when pirelli was probably pushing a little bit too hard with its uh high deg tire philosophy and those are the tires that we've seen affected this time um whether that is purely coincidence because of debris or because of teams overstretching those tires it's still something that we've seen in the support races all through the weekend in that you see a big band of of tire wear on the left front and probably the 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 left left rear as well so it's incredibly tough um because those are the tires that are loaded out when you're taking that corner so that you can you know hang on to it or otherwise you know if that tire's not loaded then you're just going to go completely straight the other way and into a wall so um yeah it puts a lot of load through them well luke what was pirelli's response to the incident what were they what were they saying after the race Uh, so they said they're going to do a a full 360 degree investigation into the matter which is good given the shape of a tire is of course 360 degrees some of the drivers did 360 degrees as well didn't they very true very very true um but yeah they said that it's not it's inconclusive still what exactly caused it as Codder said earlier, um, obviously the debris on the track certainly would have played a factor. I think in 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 some of the incidents we saw towards the end, um, but they yeah they the Pirelli do sort of set out these guidelines before a race, saying how long tyres should go, and it was always going to be I think touch and go for the teams because um, because of how early they all came in. Obviously that first safety car it was it was early enough that it was close enough to the window that they really had to come in at that point. So I think that they always sort of had it in mind that it was going to be a struggle to get to the end of the race. Um, but uh, all of them look to make it work and sort of the old maybe Monaco attitude of going is slow enough to make it make the strategy work. Um, but yeah, for a few of them, it just it just was too much of a stretch in the end. Indeed. Well, um, Codders, JBL, I mean, I forget which one of you said it earlier, but the, the softer tyres next weekend, I often get you confused. You're very, you're very, very similar. Um, the, the, the Pirelli are going a step softer next weekend. So, Jake... You know, can we expect to see more tyre failures? The drivers are certainly at least adamant that it's going to be an, a definite two-stopper, whereas the British Grand Prix in the last few years has been a one-stopper. So, yeah, we are, are we in for more tyre drama next weekend? Well, they are going to have to stop an extra time. Whether that's mandated or not, that is something that they'll have to do. It's to, it cannot be the quicker strategy to try and eke it out to a one-stop. It's just that's simply not going to happen. Um, in that regard... Um, I think it's probably it's probably hard to see quite the same level of tyre drama because if it is debris affected, then we won't get the same sort of thing, but we will have softer tyres and a hotter weekend. And so, you know, within a few laps, especially because this weekend's soft compound tyre is, if I'm right in 
saying this, it's going to be next weekend's medium compound tyre. So this means that when they're doing a stint on the mediums, they're in, you know, 30, 31 degree weather, going to go through them like soft camembert cheese. Um, so it's it's going to bring a different level of, of tyre drama to, to this weekend. Um, and it's going to be more a battle of who's lightest on their tyres and who can keep you know the grip and the pace in them rather than you know who can make it to the finish without shredding them to pieces well going through tires like camembert sounds sounds delicious if nothing else and um, codders do you reckon we're in for a closer race next weekend because let's face it mercedes were were out in, in another league although actually max verstappen wasn't wasn't so far away 10 seconds when all the drama kicked off and um, but he says because we asked, asked him about this in the press conference you know I said to both Hamilton and, and Max, I said, you know, first of all, Lewis, are you concerned about next weekend? And, and Max, do you think you can get closer? And Max was like, no, they're in a, they're in a completely northern league. I expect to be in exactly the same position. And I'm going to be spending my time counting sheep at the side of the track. Or lecturing his race engineer on when to hydrate. Yeah, that uh, shows how much mental capacity he had in reserve, didn't he? Just having random banter with the, with the pit wall. I, I suppose it's symptomatic of where we are at the moment. And it's a scenario that's not going to change in that Mercedes just have by far the, the better car and generally by default they're, they're better organised and today was an outlier in many ways in, in the, the, the way the pit stops shook out and, and what happened to the tyres. I, I think really that Max is outperforming that car. I, I just feel that the, the the natural level of that car is somewhere between where he and Alex Albon have it. I know Alex Albon's been having a little bit of a mare and has particularly in qualifying and has had to be pushing his way back through from a disadvantageous qualifying position. I'm not confident that Red Bull is fully on top of where that car is. They seem to be throwing problems, sorry, throwing solutions at the problems. And and, and I think one of the problems actually is, is Max Verstappen being such a good driver because he's able to kind of elevate that car beyond where it ought to be on the grid. And when you have a, a, a driver who's a once in a generation talent like that, it can actually be almost a disadvantage to you because it makes it more difficult to debug a troublesome car because you have someone who's so good that they're able to drive around the problems and and elevate it and get good results out of it. Uh, and also, I think to, to a greater extent, maybe, the fact that everyone else seems to be dropping off. You know, Red Bull not in in some circumstances not as quick as they were uh, per lap than they were last year ferrari have dropped right off as well so from what was a leading trio you you've had two of that uh, three just disappear off the back of the leader so it's it's exaggerated the gap i want to talk about valtteri bottas luke what did you make of him today i thought it was actually quite a good chase he seemed to be keeping hamilton pretty honest i think ultimately he sort of chewed for his tyres that little bit more. That's when he dropped out and obviously he encounters, you know, he encounters the tyre failure earlier. His counterpoint to that is, well, I was running behind the whole time. I'm in the dirty air. My tyres are sliding that bit more. So that's, you know, that's what sort of made the difference there. Um, and Hamilton was saying he was he was pushing pretty flat chat, which is, I believe, Stuart Codling's GP Racing podcast. Perhaps, perhaps I think Lewis has been might. listening. You think he's a listener, Codders? You know, he might have uh, enjoyed the last one where we discussed his fight for social justice uh, for extensively throughout the, the duration. Well, I mean, I hope he is listening because I don't. So anyway, Luke, coming back to you, <laughs> coming back to you, 
I do, I do occasionally listen. So yes, Luke, coming back to you. Um, yeah, what did you make of what did you make of Bottas today? I thought he was really impressive, and he's had a very, very impressive weekend. Like in qualifying on Saturday, he was he was really, really strong. Um, obviously, he fell apart a little bit in Q3 that allows Lewis Hamilton to grab pole position. Uh, but then, as you say in the race, like he did stay with Hamilton right the way throughout. And I think we've seen in some of the previous races and quite a lot last year that they they'd be running one and two. But Bottas was sort of fall back at a, at a fair rate of not sort of three, four tenths a lap, and that gap at the front would swell quite considerably through that first stint. But we didn't have any of that today. Like that gap stayed at a solid sort of like 1.52 seconds pretty much right the way through the race until the very end when Bottas first started to say, oh, my tyres are going off a little bit and reported a vibration that, of course, turned out to be a far more serious problem that would, that would ultimately ruin his race. But it was, yeah, I thought it was a really, really like strong display from him um, for the most part of the race. Um, maybe not quite on Lewis's level, but... I mean, Bottas always goes quite well at Silverstone. I mean, he took pole last year and gave Lewis a really good fight in in last year's race as well. And uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think the fact that he was running behind obviously made it a little bit harder to manage his tyres and keep them fresh. Um, but to have sort of kept within, I, I guess, sort of uh, spitting distance of Lewis was a, was a very good effort indeed. Well, Jake, you were on Autosport Live, live blogging duty for the website. How did you cope with the last lap drama? Uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, we didn't. No, um, I because I, I was doing it with our, our dear.com website editor, Hayden Cobb, um, and I suddenly get a message from him because my stream was on a very slight time delay and he was like, you focus on the front. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then suddenly everything descended into madness. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, you know, obviously when we're doing live blog duties, we split the work evenly between us. So he does the stuff below P6 and I do. There's a, there's a ruder term that they, that they use listeners, but we won't, we won't reveal that. Anyway, JB, I'll carry on. Yeah. So, uh, and obviously because live is, um, you know, nothing more than a vehicle for, for puns and japery, I was busy being engrossed in that. And then suddenly Hamilton's tire pops off and, uh, you know, we've got to try and convey that to the readers. I guess is the right term. Um, they're still readers, unless they're unless it's like Firefox, where it's being beamed in through their brains. <laughs> readers, what what is that? Firefox is, a, is an internet <laughs> browser. What are you talking about? Have you not seen the film stroke book Firefox? Of course, oh, I haven't got it. You oh, know this. You you've, had, you've spoken to me before, right? <laughs> it's, it's a Clint Eastwood film from the 1980s based on a book written possibly in the 1970s about a super fast jet fighter that the pilot flies through their brains and um clint eastwood's character is chosen because of his um you know his ability to think in russian so he can command that he can not only infiltrate soviet russia but steal this plane and pilot it away but anyways as a postscript to this there was a sequel written the the author wrote a sequel called firefox down and um he uh, in in his preface to the book said um do you know it's, it was actually quite quite tricky to write this because it starts immediately after the end of the book Firefox but um, in the interim the head of the KJB at the time Mikhail 
um, what's his face? You no, Yuri Andropov. Yes, head of the KGB at the time. Yuri Andropov has um, become the president of Russia and died. Uh, but um, given that I'm setting my book immediately after Firefox, um, he's still alive and he's still head of the KGB. Thank you, reader. Now here we go. Luckily, my Firefox wasn't down as I was conducting live duties on Chrome. Great segue, <laughs> by the way. I feel like I've lost all control of this. So let's go. Let's go back to Max Verstappen. I'm going to come to Luke Smith because you're in the room with me. It means I don't have to to look at JBL and God is laughing their heads off on our on our app that we're using. Max Verstappen, what did you make of him? I thought that was if I'm going to go into the uh, the Autosport driver ratings, give one away. Ooh. I think that's a ten out of ten performance for Max. He was like actually surprisingly close to the Mercs when you consider how dominant that, that they are and yep yeah, picked up second wasn't too annoyed with you know the stop the extra stop that he made right at the end um yeah happy to be second that just seemed to be his uh, his whole his whole vibe after the race yeah definitely i think that's sort of good maturity from max as well because like finishing being so far behind that lead car i mean obviously that's never that's never a nice feeling like in terms of uh, outright pace but as you rightly say like he was able to sort of keep the mercs at least within sight for the majority of that race i mean the gap didn't go to any sort of like crazy sort of half a minute gap that we saw in 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 hungary a few weeks ago like it was it was fairly respectable all the way through and um then yeah i mean he was unlucky to miss out on a race win obviously had they not made that last stop um, to try and get that fast lap bonus point, yeah, he would have got the victory. But he kind of had a bit of moment of frustration on the radio after the race. But there was no dwelling on it. Like as as you say, like in the press conference, he was like, "Well, we were lucky and unlucky. Like we were lucky to get second because we should have been third, um, but unlucky not to win." And um, I spoke to Christian Horner after the race, and he said that there was no guarantee that Max would have not had a tire failure as well. He said they found fifty cuts in in Max's tire. Um, so it was it was pretty badly beaten up, and uh, yeah, I think he can be really proud of his display again. I think he's sort of doing well to mix it with the Mercs and keep a little bit of pressure on them. Um, it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Sebastian Vettel in 2015, I want to say, when he basically Ferrari firmly had the second quickest car, weren't anywhere near um, Mercedes. Vettel was always blowing away his teammate, so he would just sort of finish third pretty routinely week in week out, and I think that judging by the early part of this season i think that's what we're going to see with max this year and uh yeah i mean back-to-back second places which is i think a, a really really good effort from him indeed indeed well cod is coming to you because i believe i saw you uh pontificating somewhat on twitter about those people saying that you know red bull making that late stop for verstappen you know they they did what was correct at the time because there's no foreseeing what would happen to lewis hamilton but is there not an argument to be made that what had struck one Mercedes could have struck the other and that they, okay, they stopped, they got the fastest lap point. It was totally safe. It was fine to do that. It was correct. To, you know, it was, it was acceptable to do what they did at the time, but there was there not that small, that small chance that something could go on to happen to Hamilton, which did, and that they could have capitalized on. Depends on what your objectives are. You'll speak to strategists uh, and also team principals and they'll talk about high-level objectives. And if you're a team in a position like that, you're you're basically you're, you're consolidating your position all the time. And when you're faced with, with, a, with a decision like that, where they have sort of one or two laps to decide what to do, and as, as, as I said in, in, my, in my tweet, which of course received the usual 
number of uh, responses from people who say I disagree and then they put forward a point of view uh, which is basically what you've said uh, and you kind of think well so, you know have you actually read it or are you just I don't know there's this thing that we that logicians refer to as the historian's fallacy which is when you look back at a decision and you judge it based on all the available knowledge whereas actually what what all you can do uh to properly judge the validity of a decision is is to assess it based on what was known at the time. And when you look at what was known at the time, obviously they knew that Lewis Hamilton had encountered a tyre failure. Sorry, that Valtteri Bottas had encountered a tyre failure. They, they will have thought that there was a possibility that Lewis would have a tyre failure as well. But they were looking at a definite second place when really they were thinking that they would only come away with a third place. So they were already ahead of where they expected to be. They had the facility to take a free pit stop to then go for fastest lap, bank an extra point. So that then becomes the most desirable outcome. Uh, if if you're a team in that position, you, you've, you've actually, instead of coming third, you, you now have almost guaranteed second plus that extra point, and, and that becomes a feather in your cap. It's irrelevant then what the leader does. Uh, you, you make that decision based on what's in front of you. And if your driver's been rep- reporting vibrations and it could happen to them at any point, then you know for sure you come in. It's then Mercedes that takes the risk in leaving Lewis out. For all Red Bull knew, Mercedes would have pitted Lewis at the beginning of the final lap. What actually is surprising is that Mercedes didn't. So judging what Red Bull did in hindsight is absurd because the 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 only really silly decision that was taken in in those pa- those last few laps was was Mercedes in in not pitting Lewis and and actually that to me was inexplicable because they had a free stop there um you know when when you look when you look back at what happened when Valtteri came into the pits to change his tire which was which was ruined and could have it could have been a long stop Lewis had just come out of cops so they had plenty of time to clear Valtteri from the pit lane and bring Lewis in for for that stop then obviously they were waiting to see what Red Bull did with with Max because Max was only 15 seconds behind they didn't have a free stop at that point but the the as soon as Red Bull brought Max in for a pit stop that then gave Lewis an extra stop, so they could have they could have brought him in at the end of the final lap, and they didn't. So that that to me was was the most inexplicable decision of the race. That that and Haas rolling the dice with Grosjean, which just ended with him being a roadblock and nearly killing lots of people. But you know we can talk about that later. It was something that Mercedes did consider, though. Tosa Wolf said after the race that they had that conversation on the pit wall when Max came in, and they sort of said, "Well, should we should we take that free stop? Should we bring Lewis in uh, at the end of the end of the penultimate lap and going on to the final lap?" But they said that Lewis's tyres didn't look to be in in as bad a shape, and uh, I mean Hamilton hadn't at any point really reported any big issues. We hadn't heard the the much memed phrase of uh, tyres are gone, Bono, or anything like that. Like he was, he seemed in pretty good shape, and he said after the race that like he the failure took him by surprise because he had no real indication that it was coming so i think mercedes were it was something they thought about but they just thought well we 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 don't need to take that extra risk of, of coming in um but i mean total wolf said after the race that like they is that kind of complacency that they've always tried to iron out and like all the way through the start of the season they've always said like okay we can't rest on our championship lead even though they have 
by far the fastest car because uh, because of stuff like this. And Toto said after the race, like, I know I get a lot of criticism because I am maybe sort of almost a bit paranoid about these kind of things. But races such as today prove that. So I think you can be sure that, uh, as you say, Carlos, like that, it doesn't make sense when you look back at it. Uh, I guess it is the the magician's fallacy, was it? That they'll sort of look historian's back on fallacy. Say, historian's fallacy. Okay, thank you. And they'll look back on that and say, right, well, that's where we went wrong. Use that hindsight, learn from it. And um, that's just what Mercedes are good at, basically. Let's move on to let's move on to Charles Leclerc. Finished third. Did you think that Charles Leclerc was going to get third place after his long run pace on Friday? Because I certainly didn't. No. I'll bet he didn't either. <laughs> A turn up for the books, wasn't it? Like, obviously, his qualifying had been pretty stunning actually because he, he qualified fourth Ferrari didn't really look in the mix at all during practice um, but what they've done Ferrari because um, obviously they know they've got a draggy car and a gammy engine and nothing's particularly great on the SF 1000 so they've turned up with a bit of a sort of low downforce package this weekend to try and offset that a little bit clearly they've got some downforce because they were like quite good in the, the first sector but then on the straights, um, especially in practice, when you're looking at the the sector times, um, Leclerc was losing loads of time on Wellington and Hangar and all the all the quick bits. Even though they had offset it with the the low downforce rear wing, um, it still particularly wasn't massively quick. So that P4 on the grid was a, a big surprise. Um, I think Vettel could have been about P7, P8 if he hadn't, you know gone wide at, uh, at cops and lost the lap time um, and it's sort of like it's interesting how the fortunes played out really because Leclerc stayed sort of in his own race really he wasn't really bothered by the McLarens or the Renaults uh, didn't have the pace to get to Verstappen um, and and Vettel by dint of his lower qualifying performance was was stuck in the midfield so um the Ferrari sort of can it can sort of hold its own in the place where it qualifies, I think. But um, P three is definitely you know is a, a nice little surprise for Mister Leclerc. The amazing thing was on the first lap, wasn't it, when Leclerc got past Verstappen for I don't know two or three corners, and then I, I wrote in my notebook slightly sarcastically uh, as as they got onto uh, the Wellington straight Honda grunt made itself known and uh, Verstappen just basically out accelerated him and it was remarkable it says everything you need to know about where Ferrari's power unit is at the moment consider uh, the Roman Grosjean factor for, for quite a few reasons in this race but when it comes to Leclerc the fact that Grosjean doesn't stop under the second safety guard means he's up behind he's behind Leclerc and that he's, he's the cork in the bottle then he's stops the McLarens and Ricardo getting anywhere near Leclerc who actually said he really struggled at that point after that safety car restart with tyre warm-up he was, was all at sea it seemed uh, from his point of view when the tyres came back to him he was able to, to put away from Grosjean and actually kept science at bay for the rest of the race the gap didn't really fluctuate all that much from what I could see and yeah I think that was a, and that was a, a, a pretty outstanding drive from Charles Leclerc well Let's stay with Roman Grosjean because, Codders, it sounds like you've got some pretty, um, pretty strong opinions on his driving. There was, uh, there was the defending against Carlos Sainz into Stowe, which earned him a black and white flag for for moving sort of late, moving under braking, and then he seems to do it again with Daniel Ricciardo into into Brooklands at the end of the Wellington Straight. So, yeah, Codders, what did you make of those moves? Because the stewards took a they took a dim view of it, but they weren't you know draconian on their punishment. 
It was interesting. It looks to me like it's something that the drivers have tacitly agreed to sort out between themselves. Grosjean said that in both cases, his moves were before the braking zone, although in the second case, it was closer. And when it was put to the drivers that these were late moves in relation to the approaching car or open quotes, movement in reaction, and also potentially dangerous. They agreed on this as a general principle, which is uh, strikes me as a bit of a non sequitur. But anyway, uh, Ricardo agreed that this situation, while close, was manageable by him as the following driver. So I, I got the impression from that and from what Daniel said in his post-race press conference was that he took a dim view of it. Roman sort of had sort of rode back on it and thought, He'd said, well, you know, Max has been got, getting away with a lot of these things recently, so I just sort of thought I'd have a go. Uh, and they're going to talk about it in the driver's briefing and things are going to be different uh, next weekend and that things like that won't be as acceptable. And see also Lance Stroll's um, sort of slightly rebarbative behaviour against Esteban Ocon in, later in the race as well. I, I think that that will be frowned upon and they'll be looking to avoid that. And and I think the the, the stewards were persuaded that this is a, a something that the drivers have agreed to sort out amongst themselves. Knowing Roman Grosjean's reputation at time for for his on track moves, I think sometimes it, it maybe wasn't the most surprising uh, instance to see him uh, with those moves. But um, he, uh, as Connor said, like he did sort of play the defence that well like we sort of have seen these like late moves that are allowed um Verstappen obviously in the past like when he broke onto the scene and his approach I think that led to a, a kind of revisionism of, of the rule book on, on that front and uh, then last year with Charles Leclerc um, obviously we saw a Monza last year in his defense from Lewis Hamilton like he said well he learned from his defeat to Verstappen and said well I know what I can do now basically and really really sort of uh, I guess uh, pushed it to the very limit I think Grosjean tried doing that but it just yeah, it was it was pretty outrageous watching some of those moves on track, to be honest. So uh, yeah, I think from the from the head of the GPDA, I think you would maybe expect a, a bit of a better example. Um, I think it'll be interesting how those discussions go in the driver briefing next next weekend, definitely. Um, but uh, I think Ricardo was very he was very civil about it. Like he said, he wanted to be very diplomatic with Roman. He didn't want to sort of like to go to war or anything like that. So I think it would just just be something that they discuss. Um, obviously, going back to the same track the very next weekend means that it's been very very relevant to those exact corners and obviously those moves into uh, the end of the Wellington straight or the end of the hangar straight uh yeah so I think it'll be interesting sort of what if any changes do come about from it indeed indeed well let's let's go on to another another controversial talking point as I as I said in my introduction the lap one clash between Alex Albon and Kevin Magnussen I mean it, it all seemed to happen for Alex Albon this weekend and, and, and unfortunately for him none of it good beyond him being uh, second quickest in FP2 obviously he had his crash in that session issues with the car in FP3 not his fault of course but, and then you know that did have a knock-on effect into qualifying where he was again knocked out in Q2 again I think I think that you know there's a lot to be said that Max Verstappen's incredible performances in the other car are making Albon look worse than worse than it is but it's also still at the same time really really not great from Albon so far Red Bull saying look we've got to do a better job as well to give him a better car but Jake I'm going to come to you how, how did you see that that incident on lap one um the stewards gave Albon a five second penalty but I've got to say I think you think there's an argument that it's pretty 50 50 between the two of them I think I'll agree to be honest with you because when when the incident happened Magnussen had quite a good start to the race and he managed to haul up a couple of positions but when he was uh exiting Vale and going into club um 
the car just seemed to wash out from under him. I think he clipped the curb a little bit too much and um, yeah, just washed out. And Albon, ever the opportunist, he's gone. I think I see a space there. Um, so we tried to go for it. Um, and then just it, it was just a corner where there is one line through that corner. Um, it, was more, it was more of a kink than a corner. Um, and two into one, just it just doesn't go. Um, and unfortunately for Magnussen, obviously he was the driver on the outside. Um, there is the gravel trap there, and it was a one-way ticket to the wall, really. Albon was really lucky not to get away with, to get away with any damage, though. His front suspension took a bit of a clunk from, from Magnussen. Um, and, yeah, I was, I was surprised not to see him peel into the pits um, and, and retire. He, I saw uh, on the live feed um, Jonathan Wheatley just pop at, pop his head around the gantry, have a quick look at a car, and go, yeah, that's fine. He must have some supervision to be able to uh, tell if a suspension component is cracked or not. Yeah, and Albon did report after the clash that he was sort of feeling a vibration on his car. So he said, oh, I'm going to sort of drive close to the pit wall so you guys can sort of take a look and see what you think. So maybe that helps a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, Magnussen after the race, like he said that he thought it was it was a risk that Albon didn't need to take. Like he said, he would have passed me probably at the very next corner. Like that car is just so much quicker than the heart. So he said he didn't really understand why he went for the move when he did. Um, was asked about the the penalty like did he think it was sort of maybe too lenient given that Magnussen's race had ended and Kevin gave a very predictable well I don't really care like doesn't really matter response um, but yeah it's, it was a shame for Magnussen's race to end like that uh, for Albon I mean that's obviously not again another sort of blow to his confidence in terms of it's been a very instant strewn weekend so to have a clash like that I mean even if it was a, a racing incident at best like it's still not what you want but um uh, he he fought back really well though. I thought thought he put in a really good drive to to get back up the order. Um, moved on to a two stop strategy straight away basically, and that really paid dividends in the closing stages. So he could fight his way back up. Uh, Christian Horner said that he he called it an excellent recovery drive, and he said basically what Alex needs is a, a quote straightforward boring weekend basically. Just have everything smooth, everything e- everything easy, and uh, get through with no issues, and that will really settle his nerves a little bit. But um, yeah, I think it, it, that clash it's just still at a time when there is clearly pressure on Alex, and in terms of everything going on right now, I think that's just it. Just doesn't it's not what you need basically. In some ways, it reminded me of the collision between Michael Schumacher and. Damon Hill the crossover between the two scenarios is is that you've got uh the the following driver thinks this is their one chance to make something happen and it has to happen then and they're not in possession of the full facts you know in the in the, in the case of Schumacher and Hill obviously Schumacher's car was trashed uh, he he couldn't continue and he cynically turned in on on Hill um I, I think it, it was a little bit more 50 50 in terms of the the Magnuson and an album thing at that uh at that point the the stewards i think decided what they did because that's a high risk area and 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 what alex did was you know stick his car into a into a situation where the, it's a fast corner more of a kink as as jbl says so um the, the outcomes are not going to be great if two cars touch um, and he put himself in that situation because he'd not qualified well. So he, he'd given himself, by, by not qualifying well, he'd given himself too much to do in the race and he was trying to force the result 
too early on. So he, he saw the opportunity with Magnussen running wide uh, at the exit of Vale and clonking the kerb and losing momentum and thought, OK, right, well, this 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 is my chance to do him instead of thinking, well, actually, you know, it's only a Haas. I can I can do this elsewhere on this lap. He kind of thought, if if I may quote Elvis at this point, it's now or never. Well, let, let, let's let's call him back to Charles Leclerc finishing third and starting fourth. As you say, JBL, as you said earlier, you know, quite unexpected. You know, didn't really wouldn't wouldn't really wouldn't expect to see a Ferrari that far up. And frankly, that sort of position is where a racing point should be. But lo and behold, this weekend, the the rocket ship, the pink Mercedes particularly in the race, was was absolutely nowhere. And Lance Stroll got out-qualified by Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc in, in what are in what are pretty definitely slower cars. Pretty underwhelming, as I'm sure you can tell from my from my setup to this uh, to this little part of the podcast now. I think it was a big case of Stroll couldn't switch those tyres on um, for love nor money. And it got to the point where even though he's still not able to switch them on, it's just they're getting more and more worn and because he's not been able to find the grip in them he's just losing positions and he's just caught in that midfield and slid down the field um i don't think he was particularly stellar either um obviously as you mentioned previously a little bit of a, a nibble at ocon as ocon tried to pass him uh it's it was just not a good weekend was it um obviously i think it reminds me a little bit of um the, Aust- the first austria race where they were sort of like okay i think they were sixth and seventh or something like that um didn't do a particularly stellar job um but then they obviously they had the data for the following round and did a little bit better they'll go away and come back with with some results and have a way to to fix things um for silverstone mark two but yeah it's i think it's weird that we're talking about racing point underachieving i mean this time last year they'd be happy with uh, a couple of points but it's just it just didn't happen for them this weekend for a multitude of reasons. In terms of in terms of racing point, again missing out on a big result. We saw you know the sort of the madness at the end of the first race in Austria, very quick in Hungary, but you know Verstappen was just you know simply even after his, his crash before the race was able to to get away. Um, you know a Mercedes finishing eleventh is just simply not going to happen at very many races this you know for the rest of the season and probably next season as well. Let's face it. Racing point and got to be disappointed. Okay, you take the sort of we'll take we'll take the Perez Hulkenberg situation out of it for the moment, but to not get a podium in a in a situation like that when one was there from the taking, even though Verstappen had sealed up second, they've got to be they've got to be pretty disappointed with that, no? Yeah, definitely. And this is the second time in four races now where you say it was a, a crazy race, a freak ending. And I mean, in and sorry, but I'm going to classify Ferrari as a midfield team right now. Uh, in the opening race in Austria, there were two midfield cars on the podium. Here, there was one midfield car on the podium, and that should always be the leading midfield car. And ultimately, if you are not there, you, you've done something wrong, and th- that's racing points. So, I mean, you look at look at the constructors' championship right now. I mean, they're they're dropped down to fifth now. They're behind McLaren. They're behind Ferrari as well. And it's like that. Really, given how quick they are. They should be comfortably third. They should be really putting pressure on Red Bull, to be honest, um, particularly if they had two cars bringing in a good haul of points every time around. And they just haven't done that. And it's like, that's that's quite concerning because ultimately, no matter how... This team has always based its strength on how good it is operationally. And it is a very good operationally strong team, certainly. But we've not seen any of that come through. Like We've not sort of seen this sort of, the, the I guess, the pound-for-pound pound greatness that 
that squad has always been known for, that's not been there this season. And it is like, yeah, concerning that they have a race where they should be doing they should be doing better than ninth. They should be doing better than getting one car through to key three. Yes, circumstances with the Hulkenbergers we'll get on to. Uh, but even Lance Charles, like he scraped through to key three. He was lucky to qualify where he did. And then in the race, he just went backwards. So, yeah, I mean, they've got to be looking at this starts the season. So, okay, even if we've got like 40 odd points and we're fifth in the constructors, we're close to Ferrari and McLaren, which this time 12 months ago, as JBL says, like that, that's crazy to think they've made that advancement. But also, they've actually had a really, really poor start because they haven't capitalized on any of the opportunities that have come the way of their midfield rivals. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Cod is coming to you. Do you think there's anything to be said uh, for the fact that? Sergio Perez wasn't in the other car this weekend because in, ter- in terms of Lance Stroll's struggles that is because obviously Nico Hulkenberg you know as we'll come to you know di- ultimately didn't end up starting the race but having the the benchmark another driver who knows that car really really well do you think do you think Stroll missed having his regular teammate there? Tricky to say doesn't it uh, I, I think obviously very very unfortunate for Nico Hulkenberg uh, what was it Mario Andretti said was it about Chris Amon that uh, you know if he'd become an undertaker people would have stopped dying you know no no one is is more unlucky than that uh, terribly terribly unfortunate on the other hand um i, th- I think per- perez is a is a driver who is adept at taking what's on the table isn't he and if if they're certainly in his latter career uh, with with racing point and force injuries it was he would always maximize his take from any given situation I think it's very hard to say what he'd have achieved uh, in the same circumstance. But yeah, you know, uh, to, to paraphrase Sir Patrick Head, Lance Stroll did make very heavy weather of qualifying, and that defined his race. And I don't buy the excuse that the safety cars scuppered their strategy because it was the same for everyone who who started on medium tyres. The the safety car scuppered everything, so it it didn't it didn't really affect it in relation to where everyone else was he'd just qualified in the wrong place um would Perez have qualified further uh, ahead of him or, or would, would would he have qualified in the top 10 probably I think Hulkenberg did a good job he was what literally a couple of thousands the way in Q2 but uh you know like Luke and JBL have pointed out Stroll scraped into uh, Q3 so yeah it's very disappointing and it's a circuit where Racing Point really should have thrived and, and that car just um, didn't look great I, w- I wonder if it is as, as JBL said the the tyres just not coming in they they should have been better than they were uh, at all points and, and that car should be second or third fastest at a circuit like Silverstone one point in Stroll's defence is that he got through to Q3 on the mediums, whereas five of the other runners in Q3 were on the soft, so that would have put him under extra pressure. But I do I do take all of your points, of course. JBL, coming to you, Nico Hulkenberg, the reason why he didn't start the race all came down to one bolt, apparently. Yeah, one bolt in his clutch, apparently, um, which is incredibly bad luck. It's it's always those, those issues, isn't it? Um, the one where it's like a 50p washer, it was desperately unlucky, wasn't it? Um, you know, everybody was touting, oh, is this Hulkenberg's best chance for a podium? Wouldn't that be ironic? And it's like, no, it's a little bit more business as usual for Hulkenberg, isn't it? <laughs> he get, finally gets a return to Formula 1 and his car packs up and he can't make it to the grid. He'd put in a good effort all weekend given that he, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd arrived 
quite late, got into the fact, you know, didn't go to bed until about 2.30 in the morning and then had to be up at 6am for a simulator session. So he'd done, given the limitations, he'd done a very, very good job in practice and qualifying. Um, and uh, he did make it into the pit lane for the race, but not in the car. Uh, he just stood on the pit wall and milled about looking a little bit forlorn. So if he's available next weekend and if, if, Sergio Perez isn't allowed to start then you know he's got the weekend so I don't think it's too much to worry about for him but I think it just sums up racing points weekend doesn't it the racing point pit wall was opposite the the media center we were able to during the safety car I went over and uh, saw if Nico Hulkenberg was still there and he was indeed standing up watching the race so you know giving giving the support, what support he could there well just sort of staying on that Luke the British Grand Prix usually one of the best attended best supported races of the season no fans I went out I was able to you know, there's, there's little areas where you can sort of just you can get access to completely socially distanced you know staying within the bubbles that are you know in, enacted by the FIA in Formula 1 was possible to see cars from a very very long far away sort of just outside uh, one of the entrances to the wing looking out onto the grandstand beyond club I, I said to you and I, I've written this for Autosport magazine it was almost like a post-apocalyptic event it had that sort of feel everything looked completely perfect and pristine and, and right for the for the race and for the event but there were no people I mean yeah you could see the marshals and the security people and everything but like the actual fans it was just totally absent and actually really eerie when the cars like if there's only one car or a track or something during practice I mean yeah, what was your impression of the, of the British Grand Prix without fans? No I fully agree because as you say it is one of the best attended races of the year I mean like you you normally we all uh, as as media we normally moan about the amount of traffic getting into the circuit and everything like that um, but obviously there was none of that this year I mean we were able to leave for the track like 10 minutes before we needed to be there it was it was quite nice but it's it is it's not it's not the same like Silverstone is one of those races a bit like a bit like Spa a bit like Monza that really does thrive off the fan base like we love seeing the grandstands absolutely full um, the air horns going off the flags being waved as Lewis Hamilton goes around the track um, and yeah it's just such a good sort of like real festival atmosphere you always get at Silverstone and like I've I've been at Silverstone for um, F1 test days but even the test days, there are still loads of fans there. Like the fans still come, even just see the cars going around every now and then and whatever. Um, and that just shows sort of the passion for F1 in this country. And uh, yeah, to have that, it's just very, very strange. And um, uh, you and I, the other day, as we were um, walking in the track, we um, met up with uh, Stuart Pringle, the Silverstone um, track, track director. And uh, it was so strange having this chat, but looking over like empty grandstands and just nobody else being there and it did feel very very much like a test very sort of post-apocalyptic as you say and uh yeah we um just before the race we managed to get up to a vantage point where you can sort of look over the grid because obviously we're, we're not allowed onto the grid right now um and uh yeah it was like nice to see sort of the grid coming together and all the cars being sort of pushed through and everything but the grandstand's absolutely empty, like, and there's no noise you can hear except just people going about the business on the grid and firing the cars up and working on the cars. And yeah, it's uh, properly eerie. And I think that it's going to be the same for obviously every race until we do get fans coming back, which I think F1 is hoping from either uh, Mugello or Sochi. They're sort of the aims. But Silverstone is, yeah, it's just one of those races where you really, really, really notice the absence uh, of the fans in the grandstands. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure Stuart Pringle won't mind us revealing that when he came over to speak to us, he asked us to look at the top of the grandstand above club and said, uh, does that look ever so slightly, uh, slightly grubby to you? And I, I must confess, I didn't think it looked, I didn't think it looked dirty at all. I thought it was pretty spotless, but 
clearly clearly he was deciding that you know that you know had to had to had everything had to be perfect but i have to say in terms of uh, the cleanliness of a grandstand it looked it looked pretty good what did you guys what did you guys make watching watching the event from home i mean it wasn't actually it wasn't actually a seamless event for Silverstone today. There was a it was it wasn't it wasn't quite disruptive, but there was a, a minor protest from the uh, from the environmental group Extinction Rebellion. They unfurled a banner uh, onto one of the advertising hoardings behind the grid, um, which was sort of just visible as the, as the cars pulled away on their formation lap, and four people have been arrested. Um, but yeah, something interesting, you know, because obviously there were there were lots of warnings ahead of the race about you know fans must stay away and there's going to be sort of roadblocks and everything checking. So yeah, interesting to to, to hear what um, Silverstone an investigation has been launched with the police. So it would be interesting to see what that comes back and and, and, and an explanation of how that happened. But yeah, uh, Codders, what did you make of uh, of all all that uh, pre race action with a, with a, with a a protest there from the Extinction Rebellion. Well, I have to confess that I didn't see their banner at the time, and well done them for managing to penetrate the the security. Um, I, I think it's it's very telling, isn't it, that this is the first Grand Prix of, of the season where the circuit uh, promoter stroke organizer has had to repeatedly say please do not come to this event and i think that says a lot about the the, the passion of the the fans at, at this particular event and the fact that it's pretty much always sold out that they're, they're having to sort of mitigate against the possibility of people gate crashing and and certainly for me it, it was it, it's been very weird um watching this from from home you know much as it's nice to wake up in my own bed you know with uh, you know mrs codling and a snoring cat alongside it's, it's not like going to silverstone you know I, I have a slightly different experience of silverstone than you guys usually because um gp racing f1 racing as it was uh operate a fan village in whittlebury park every year so we have a campsite that people stay at um we have events uh, i get to stay in the sort of little butlin style chalet thing by the gate which is all very nice and have a cooked breakfast every morning and i walk in with all the other people who've camped and i queue up at the gate with all the people who are checking in with their tickets and you can just talk to fans as as they're doing their stuff and you know most of them are hamilton fans but not all of them and, and it's and it's it's kind of nice just having that sort of sauntering in at your leisure experience with other people who are passionate about motor racing so for many years i haven't had to worry about this whole business of queues queues what is this to get into silverstone i just walk in with the other people who are camping nearby um so yeah just just very weird and and, and a bit sad really it, it was it was nice to see the the dramatic looking silverstone sky with its pendulous clouds looking like they might unload at any moment with with rain that would shake things up uh but yeah it was it, it was kind of dispiriting just just hear nothing from the grandstands you know you, you you expect to hear that roar as 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 lewis and the other british drivers do well um it, it's a very passionate crowd there so uh very unfortunate and it's something we'll we'll see at, at the other circuits this year you know we monza without the tifosi is is 
going to be, you know, you're just going to have to rely on the whispering trees, aren't you? It's it, it's it's going to be very, very weird going to Monza, I think. Well, yes, and, and, and obviously it'll be more of the same next weekend. Luke and I will be back, provided uh, our next couple of coronavirus tests go as, uh, as we hope. Fingers crossed, all good so far. Um, but anyway, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you to the three of you for joining me on this podcast. And thank you very much to everybody for listening. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.